Well, 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 rewind. Fear the Fro fans, Cavalier faithful. Six months ago, season crashes and burns in flames. Jared Allen utters the following. Uh, even for me, the lights were brighter than expected. And for six months since that point, it has been endless trade speculation. If I hear the phrase, two bigs can't work together, one more time, I will do absolutely nothing about it. Because I don't know you. I mean, you can say whatever you want through the anonymity of the internet or through the non-anonymity. Maybe you put your name on it. Regardless, I think you're wrong. And we now have an 11-game sample of Jared Allen proving that fact. 19 points. 13 rebounds, 4 assists, 67% from the floor, multiple 2010 games. We've got 4 of them, including the 24-23-6 game. The best part of all of that, the Cavaliers have won 8 of those 11 games with the only losses coming to the Bucks, the Raptors, barely, and an end-to-end drubbing from the New Orleans Pelicans. We all have to feel exceptionally good about this Cleveland team because as of right now, with this three-game winning streak, we are up to the fifth seed in a virtual tie with the New York Knicks, who we've split this season series against. And while their next game is almost certainly going to produce a victory against the Portland Trailblazers, we get a bit of a layoff, and then it's Paris to take on a very overcomable Brooklyn Nets team, one that seemingly has regressed from last season to this season, including their lead player, Mikhail Bridges, who the second half of last year looked like an all-NBA caliber player. In fact, this year, he was a most improved player runaway in the preseason, and he has backslid aggressively. But before we dive into the future, let's talk about the present and what we witnessed today. The Cavaliers, oh, I forgot, I'd be remiss if I didn't play you my latest creation, which you probably have already heard because I released it on the YouTube page for the Fear the Fro podcast. But this is an anthem constructed in the wake of absolutely stomping the Washington Wizards two games in a row. A recreation from the great Bill Withers. We're going to hit this, then we're going to talk some Spurs. If you want to just blow through this song, hit the 30-second skip button like four times. It's about two minutes long. Yeah, they had a sign. They had a sign up that said, uh, LeBron won uh, Kuzma his ring. I said, uh, you know, without LeBron, Cleveland would be shit. Insecurity is loud. Like, you you know that you're there to try to get a contract. You're probably not uh, even a third star really on a good team. Because if you were, the Lakers would have kept you. When I look upon the schedule... Ooh, Washington. And the Wizards hit my eye. Should be an easy win. I'd rather try to storm the Capitol. We have a free to the Capitol. Then watch this Kyle Kuzma guy. He sucks. When I look at pool. Abject failure. Hollow stats are all I see. To be confident and not delusional is a real skill. Playing next to Coos. Yeah. Straight trash, homie. Option A, who should be D? I'm almost three times better than you, boy boy. We'll have our way. up for grabs. This is another offensive rebound. Gafford will not pull it in. Like these are all things that are, are facts. When he hears Unseld say, hey, box out. What? He walks to the 
recycling bin. That's a responsible citizen. The Pistons may be bad. At this point, it's like, don't be that team. I believe this team is worse. This looks disappointing. Time to pack it in. I'm done. When is the draft? Load this season in a hearse. Sell the tickets. They're dream killers. The Wizards burn the cash, then get smashed. Play like ass, finish last. Burn the cash, then get smashed. Play like ass, finish last. Burn the cash, then get smashed. Play like ass, finish last. Burn the cash, then get smashed. Play like ass, finish last. Little long on that. I'm sorry. I I almost forgot, but I put a shitload of time into making the music video for that doozy. So I hope you check it out. I hope you subscribe to the YouTube page as well. Now back to the Spurs game. I'm sorry. I should have warned you before to skip ahead two and a half minutes, uh, but you know, it's 2024. It's a new year. New mistakes will be made. Really, I only have one goal here. My goal was to get this far and still have a virgin asshole and never have sucked a penis. So I've succeeded in at least half of my goals so far this year, which is pretty good. What? 50%. I would be an elite three-point shooter. So not bad. Anyway, in the first quarter, this matchup had all the makings of a letdown. And maybe that's just me catastrophizing, but after two just devastatingly awesome wins against the Washington Wizards, it would not be unlike the Cavs to come into this game overly confident. There was some signals from the Spurs that I thought were particularly troubling. One of those was, in the last week, we have seen a discussion about minutes. We saw Wemby try to check himself back into the game. They've been playing him on a minutes restriction. It seems as if, after that Milwaukee game last week, the pressure was going to be on Popovich, if you can even put pressure on a coach, the ilk of Popovich, to play Wemby a bit more. More specifically, though, there was one minor move which I did not think was a good signal in terms of the tank agenda of the San Antonio Spurs, and that was putting Trey Jones back into the starting lineup. Much of this season has been dedicated to this experiment of trying to run Point Sohan, who, while I like him as a player, he is not a point guard. So going with the less flashy, less heavily invested prospect that you have in Trey Jones Certainly, I think that's more likely to lead to wins. And I think there's a certain silent concession by teams around the league that the bottom four is pretty well cemented. And since the bottom four all end up with the same NBA lotto odds, I think we're going to see in the second half of this season that some of these teams actually make an effort to play more winning basketball because you are going to have to aggressively work to outsuck the Pistons, the Spurs, the Washington Wizards, and even the Charlotte Hornets, to that matter. It may be a race to see who finishes as fourth or fifth, but I think it's pretty safe to say that the San Antonio Spurs are going to be amongst those teams. While Trey Jones may not be as glamorous, to me that signals an idea that, okay, who wins the race to the bottom is really irrelevant. We're all going to end up with the same lotto chances, so we can try to take a step forward and maybe play something more resembling that of winning basketball. And certainly back-to-back 18-point games in these two games in which he's logged over 30 minutes. I think it's a good sign that he'll probably get to continue in this role for at least a while. So, coming off the gates, it wasn't just that the Cavaliers came out flat and listless, it's that Devin Vassell came out on fire, made his first four shots, was pacing the way with nine points. He finished the first quarter with 12 points and began the game five for six from the field. Wemby wasn't the story. 
in the first quarter. In fact, he got two fairly early fouls, and there was a couple of plays that could have even resulted in more personal fouls. But Wemby went down with just four minutes of action, and we did not see him again until the second quarter. That to go along with the fact that our starting unit just did not have it. Struess and Mitchell were one for six from outside, two of eight collectively. Dean Wade took two shots, which seems like a lot for a quarter for him, did not make any of them. And Jared Allen, one thing I will say, Allen's start statistically wasn't loud, but you could see the mentality was there. The four points he scored in the first quarter of his 29-point effort, they all came at the free throw line. And that was one of my concerns coming into this game was, okay, how aggressive are we going to see Allen in a matchup with a guy who's extremely long and who could give Allen problems, seemingly? Though he finished with five blocks, most of those came against our bench, Merrill and Levert specifically. Only one against the fro tonight. Meanwhile, Jared Allen, who was held without a block for the entirety of the first half, he may not have got five blocks tonight like Wemby, but the one he got, I would trade all five of the other ones for. Because Wemby gathered a loose ball in the middle of the lane with his right hand, dribbled behind his back, which got Allen spinning. It seemed like a certain dunk, but Allen recovered by spinning entirely away from him. Counterclockwise, a complete 180, elevated, and met Wemby at the rim to send him packing. Not only will that highlight live on well beyond Jared Allen's career in the NBA, but this season, Jared Allen is collecting the heads of some of the most elite big men in the game. I want you to consider this. Now, we've seen plenty of good performances from Jared Allen. There are five in particular that jump out to me. There's the... Denver Nuggets victory over Nikola Jokic. He only scored 15 points and had five rebounds, but he held Jokic to just 18 points in an effort that I thought was one of his best of the season. Then there is, of course, the big victory over Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers in overtime, where Jared Allen went 26-13. and 13. He played great in that loss to the Lakers, where he faced off against Anthony Davis, and of course, we saw his 30-point outing against the Milwaukee Bucks, a team with Giannis, a team with Brooke Lopez, and then there was tonight, 29-16. and 16. Take that five-game sample against five bigs I think we can all agree are elite-level bigs. Wemby, Giannis-Lopez combo, Anthony Davis, Jokic, Joel Embiid. Do you know what his numbers in those five games are? What he averaged? 24 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists. Do you know what bigs have strung together an 11-game stretch as effective as Allen just has? Allen over these last 11, 19, 13, and 4 since the Garland and Mobley news broke. Do you know who has strung together 11 games averaging 19, 13, and 4? Well, it's only three guys in the NBA outside of Jared Allen, and all of them are definitive all-stars or MVP-level players. There's Giannis, who has done it one time. There is Jokic, who's done it a whole bunch of times. He's really good. He just seemingly is clockwork in that regard. And there's Sabonis. Even Joel Embiid, who admittedly is not achieving this feat simply because he's slightly shy in the rebounding capacity. Over his last 10, he's doing 37, 13, and 5. So I don't want, I mean, I do love slandering Joel Embiid. But in this case, he just missed this achievement on a technicality. But that list, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, and Sabonis, those are the who's who of high-usage, offensive hub big men. Now, can Jared Allen make the All-Star game? I wouldn't count on it. Simply put, 
We know what he's doing. The world is going to know what he's doing. But the best path for Jared Allen to end up in Indianapolis, it's not going to be the fan vote. Donovan Mitchell, the only Cavalier showing up on that. His hopes have to be in an injury withdrawal from a guy like a Joel Embiid where the coach gets to pick the replacement because he is one of the elite centers in the East. Sadly, this is the center position is not one that gets a lot of acclaim in all-star balloting. But I do think he is putting together a good case to be the call-up if the Cavaliers continue to ascend up the standings and he proves to be the pivotal piece during this 11-game stretch. Because I think it's fair to say at this point, Donovan Mitchell has had some great games. Sam Merrill has had some great games. Karis LeVert has vaulted himself back into the six-man-of-the-year conversation during this injury-riddled stretch. But Jared Allen is the single most impactful Cavalier during this run, and the fact that it's going to continue much of this month is a good thing for his own personal agenda. Now, speaking of the All-Star balloting, there's something else that warrants attention, and that is the shameful performance of the New York Knicks fans. For as loud as they are, you look at the Eastern Conference ballot, and nowhere to be found are the New York Knicks. Jalen Brunson. All I've heard since the playoff series is, well, this guy's better than Donovan Mitchell. Last year, Wally Zerbiak, when he called Tyrese Halliburton a wannabe all-star, that was because he was openly campaigning for his own guy, Jalen Brunson, and yet none of the Knicks fans showed up to back up his bullshit. Jalen Brunson should be the runaway, easy ballot for the New York Knicks fans, and yet Tyrese Halliburton with his $1.4 million, Lillard, who just joined the conference and is the secondary star, in Milwaukee, not a huge market. Trey Young, he's always kind of a fan favorite. Donovan at fourth, Tyrese Maxey at fifth, and then Jalen Brunson. Nearly half the votes of our own Donovan Mitchell. I'm almost three times better than you, Loki boy boy. That is a shameful display from the New York Knicks fans. Julius Randle didn't even make the top 10 in the front court. There's not a Nick to be found. LA shows up. LeBron James is the leading vote getter. For everyone, as and Anthony Davis is fourth. You have Austin Reeves in the top 10 for guards. How is it that a fan base as large as the Knicks seemingly is does such a piss-poor job of representing for those guys when it comes to all-star voting? Your team sucked! Tweet that! Now, I'm about to transition away from Jared Allen, but I hope, and you know how I feel on this, uh, it's it's beyond the fact that the, the name of the podcast is Fear the Fro. If we get rid of Allen at some point, I'll rename it, I'll keep it moving. I'm a Cavs fan, first and foremost. But there has not been a bigger answer to the questions we were left at at the end of last season from any player on this roster than Jared Allen. I still have my doubts about Donovan Mitchell and... Darius Garland working together or what we can achieve in that. I mean, I still have answers that I need to see. But one thing I don't need answered is that Jared Allen is immensely better than people have realized here or have given him credit for. And that he has subjugated his game massively. And I'm heartened in some regards because while I feel like the catastrophizing after the Knicks series went too far in the negative, the Jared Allen scapegoating has just shifted onto his front court partner. And in this case, we've gone from, quote, we'll never achieve our ceiling unless Evan Mobley is our best player to Jared Allen is better than Evan Mobley. And I'm not even going to have that discussion. My sincere hopes is that I have Twitter rabbit ears and that that is a vast, vast, vast minority of this fan base. Watching people take success from one player 
and then weaponize it to smash our own players. I'm not, it's not about, you don't always have to be positive or negative. I get that. But why aren't you living in this moment where we've won 8 of 11 with a skeleton crew? And it's not unique to Mobley. It's happening to Levert at the moment. Yes, you heard that right. Karis Levert, a man who's vaulted himself back into the discussion for six man of the year. In his last six games, giving us 20 points, six assists, and three rebounds a game, and doing it on 50-43 splits. Yes, there's people who are upset that he stands in the way of Craig Porter Jr. garnering legitimate, consistent rotation minutes. Why do you do that? What enjoyment do you get out of that? When you go to a restaurant, do you order a nice glass of wine, have a lovely meal with your significant other, and then walk to the bathroom and drink out of the toilet? Why do you want your fan experience to be taking a positive and then focusing on a negative? Oh, I'm sorry. Craig Porter Jr. didn't get significant minutes because Karis LeVert was in the midst of another 20-point outing, a 17-point second half. Why do you do that to yourself? We have a subset of just pieces of shit, a cabal of misery, a consortium of turds in the punch bowl. It's a cabal. It's a, it's a consortium. I have seen three separate discussions, two of which I've alluded to here, the Mobley slander, the Karis Levert hate. Those ones are ones where I just don't understand what people are watching. The third one, the only one I would even humor because I think it comes from a good place. The idea that it's going to be a tough decision to make when we're at full strength, who gets minutes between Merrill and Craig Porter Jr. While I don't hate the discussion because I think it's a productive conversation that's largely positive, one thing I will say is I don't think it's a particularly difficult question. Sam Merrill is that guy. There is no iteration of the Cavs where Levert and Merrill are going to lose usage here in the short term. Levert has proved that he should be the primary scoring punch off the bench and the secondary creator for that bench unit. The things that I've noticed over the course of this time are, one, his rapport with Tristan Thompson, who, as our backup big for the time being, at least, is going to be in a position where you want those guys out on the court together. Also, when people close on Sam and he isn't able to pull quickly, the favorite recipient of passes from Sam is George Yang. Sam Merrill has set up 11 made three-pointers for his teammates. Seven of those are from George Yang, who seems to be a favorite recipient of passes from Merrill. So maximizing their time on the court together seems something that we should be trying to do. And there are several very positive lineups that feature Sam Merrill and Karis LeVert. Consider this, Jared Allen with a spacing lineup. Of George Yang, Sam Merrill, Karis LeVert, Max Struess, that's a plus 28 at the moment. That same exact lineup, except you swap Struess and Craig Porter Jr., it's a minus 26. Now, that's not to say that Craig Porter Jr. doesn't have positive lineups. In fact, with Tristan on the court, a lineup showcasing Sam Merrill, Karis LeVert, Craig Porter Jr., and George Yang, that's a plus 23 in nearly 60 possessions. So, Craig Porter Jr. has effective stretches, for sure, but Sam Merrill and his best lineups are almost all involving Karis LeVert and George Yang. I think the fact that he's thriving alongside backups is something that's sustainable because as we get more healthy, he's still going to be playing alongside backups. Now, here's another small sample stat that I think bodes well for Sam Merrill and Karis LeVert playing alongside one another. Merrill is converting at an over 50% rate on these shots that he's taking from beyond the arc that come from Karis LeVert. He's currently 10 of 19. Meanwhile, 
on the passes into three-point shots that come from Craig Porter Jr., it's a very high volume. It's nearly 30 attempts, and Sam is just 8 for 27, sub 30%. Now, I would want to go back and look at each attempt before I try to just broad brush explain this away, but I have a theory. I think there is something to be said for the fact that Craig Porter Jr. is just not as scary taking shots from the perimeter, so teams are more likely to load up and force Merrill into more difficult, contested looks than the passes that are coming from a very offensive-oriented Karis LeVert. That may be completely inaccurate. But I do think there's something to be said for the fact that you're talking about a nearly 20% difference in three-point conversion rate when the passes come from Craig Porter Jr. versus those that come from Karis LeVert. And then there's the archetype. For Sam Merrill, what bodes well for him is that we have one type of shooting and fairly short supply on this Cavaliers roster, and that is movement shooting. You've got Max Struess and you've got him, essentially. Guys who can catch and shoot in a rapid motion, fairly reliably off of pin downs, off of curls. Well, it's Sam Merrill and it's Max Struess. Struess isn't going anywhere. Merrill has been absolutely unbelievable. Shooting the highest percentage on the team, making over... 43-pointers in 20-ish, 21 games now. And every time he logs over 15 minutes, pencil him in for at least three three three-pointers. It's super reliable. Tonight, 5 of 9, of course, but that brings him up to 31 for 67 from beyond the arc in games where he's logged over 15 minutes. That is 46% on threes. And that's why a guy like Merrill is somebody that you cannot pull back the reins on when we come to full strength. He needs to maintain minutes because unlike Craig Porter Jr., who maybe you can drop him in and it'll give you a 14-point fourth quarter, Sam Merrill is there for shooting, and shooters need a rhythm. And for that reason alone, I mean, Yang is a standstill shooter. Wade, standstill shooter. Okoro, standstill shooter. And while I have much more faith in our three-point shooting this season— Sam Merrill doesn't have the duplication, the overlap that a lot of other guys on this roster does. Plus, I think we can all acknowledge he's proven to be at least a high-effort defender for whatever limitations he may have. There was a stat on the broadcast tonight. In just 21 games, Sam Merrill is the leader on the Cavs in terms of charges drawn. He has accounted for six. The rest of the roster collectively has drawn eight charges. But the fact of the matter is, he has his limitations, of course. But you can try to hide him, and for what he's given you on the other end, I think it's a net positive, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to make the argument that it isn't. We've now seen games where he's given us 24 points in Utah, 19 points against the Rockets, 16 against Toronto, and then again, tonight, 18 points from Sam Merrill. The emergence of guys like him and Craig Porter Jr. is what made the Ricky Rubio news just a drop in the bucket. I was basically unaffected. We got another roster spot to work with. At some point, yeah, I anticipate Craig Porter Jr. will be converted, maybe closer to the All-Star game. But Chris Fedor talked about some of the things they were considering in the past. The guy that we just saw today, Trey Jones, he was being discussed as a possible trade option for the Cavaliers or a Javon Carter, somebody that could come in and play backup point guard and log minutes. And yet Craig Porter Jr.'s emergence has made that unnecessary. Now, my hope is you take none of this as slander of Craig Porter Jr. I think he's been excellent, but it's more to speak to what Sam Merrill is doing, which is nearly unprecedented from a guy who goes from completely out of the rotation to one of the highest volume three-point shooters on the roster. Now, we all love Imani Bates absolutely murdering people in the G League. Just this past end of the week, he had 38 points 
eight three-pointers. But look at what's happened on the main roster. He's one for 12 on catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. Now, again, Bates is a teenager. Sam Merrill's 27. That's not meant as a shot at Bates. It's just meant to reinforce how special what Sam is doing is. And just because we knew he was a shooter doesn't mean we should take the shots he's making for granted. Now, the other guy in this specific game that we need to talk about is Tristan Thompson because he was massive in the minutes where he spelled Jared Allen. Tonight, the pick-and-roll actions he got in with Sam Merrill and the way he just stymied some of the attacks at the rim. There is, of course, the highlight play for him, which was getting the ball underneath the rim and just putting his 260-pound ass into Wemby to move him out of the way and convert at the rim with Wemby trying to swat him from behind. But a couple other things I really loved in this game was Keldon Johnson was forcing. He finished with 18 points, but it was horribly inefficient. He was 6 for 16, and multiple times he tried to venture into the lane and power through guys like Tristan Thompson and George Yang. And it was great seeing him bull rush dudes and them just walling up and stymieing him. And Tristan was big in that way. His physicality, his composure, it felt like he was leading that second unit. And George Yang, too, it bears mentioning, over his last three games, he is 10 for 21 from outside the arc. So I know we get duds like the Milwaukee game, but he's now chipped in 10 three-pointers in the last three contests to go along with 21 rebounds. So what's next? The Nets in Paris, and AC is already working on a French version of Throw the Hammer Down. Jeté la mato. Jeté la mato. I like that. Jeté la mato. Now, Mikhail Bridges absolutely exploded today. He has been having a rough stretch of games, but 42 points on 26 shots tonight in an effort that produced an overtime loss to Portland. But it wasn't due to Bridges. He hit a huge shot that sent it to OT. Just wasn't enough to prevail. Now, one final thing on this episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Ricky Rubio officially announces his retirement and comes to a buyout agreement with the Cavs and a pretty favorable one in terms of the savings that he gave back to the Cavs. Now, he was on roughly a $6 million deal this year. His buyout agreement gave back significant money, over $5 million. So his cap hit this year came down to just 3.7 mil and next year, 1.3. That put the Cavs 3.2 million below the apron, which coincidentally is slightly more than the highest contract amount for a vet men guy. A guy with 10 years of experience or more, his veteran minimum number is 3.1. So basically, the Cavs can bring in anyone on a buyout situation where they're paying a minimum contract and not fall into the tax, which is huge. But perhaps more realistically is considering what kind of contract Craig Porter Jr. would sign into if he became part of the main roster, and then we'd likely add a different two-way guy. For Ricky, I think it's wild that he was only 32 years old. That's the thing I sometimes forget in all of this, is that he and Tristan Thompson seem ancient, but it's really just a testament to how young they were when they came into the league. And for Ricky specifically, he got drafted in the same draft by the Timberwolves where they took one of my Syracuse guys, Johnny Flynn, and didn't come over for two years. So for as long as it seems like he's played, it actually took a while to get him over to the NBA. So obviously, goes without saying, I hope nothing but the best for Rubio. His statement in the aftermath was pretty, 
I don't know if you'd say alarming, but he did allude to an incident that took place in the summer that caused him to feel like he had kind of lost control. And that's what sent him down this whole spiral, which has led to where we are now. But certainly that season that we acquired him for Torian Prince was amazing. He had some absolutely unbelievable games, including a 37 point performance against the New York Knicks. That was probably my favorite game, but you have to be grateful if for no other reason than he gave us a steady veteran presence and he was what facilitated Karras becoming a part of this team. And the way Karras is playing now, certainly his impact can at least be partially attributed to Ricky Rubio being willing to be a part of that. And the fact that he came back after, I know we haven't got a return on the investment for that three-year, $18 million deal, but honestly, fuck all that. I mean, that doesn't matter now. What I'll remember about Ricky Rubio was that he willingly allowed us to send him to Indiana to bring another integral piece to this team, and he didn't hold a grudge. He returned six months later. He was a true pro, and even in handling this, I'm sure this was exceptionally difficult for him, uh, but I thought both sides conducted themselves with uh, complete professionalism. And I hope that the, the man finds happiness and that whatever is troubling him, I'm sure we'll eventually find out. Um, but certainly he spoke of a specific incident on July 30th. So whatever it was, it caused him to back out of international play where he has been a fixture. And so I imagine it's it's pretty serious, but time will tell on that. Regardless, thank you to everybody who's joined me for this episode of the Fear of the Fro podcast. And again, please talk to me at CavsPod.com. I want you to be a part of the pod. Thank you very much. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.